Yo, what's going on, guys? Uh, thanks for tuning in. Really means a lot to you that you even open up this podcast to listen to it. Uh, thanks for listening to our first ever podcast. We're doing this thing. Uh, I love that you're down to hear us out and how we see this board of ours. It's really cool. But I'm going to tell some of y'all right now, uh, some of y'all might not like where we take this thing. But Rudy and I are just the kind of people who are only ever going to be ourselves. And if people don't like it, you know, that's totally fine, man. Life goes on. I mean, prime example is Diggs Tape. I literally never thought I'd crack three or 4,000 followers and, you know, here we are making a podcast. So, I mean, that being said, what I really want to say on this little one-time pre-intro, sorry we screwed it up, uh, is that you're going to want to follow at the shack underscore pod on Instagram. That's the shack underscore pod on Instagram. We're going to be using that account to post previews and visual references of, work, of what we're going to be talking about uh, on each episode. We forgot to say that in the recording, so I got to come back and record a little pre-intro. So uh, we also forgot to talk about why we even named this pod what we did in the first place. So if you're still rocking with us in episode two, that's when you'll learn it. Sorry, we forgot to record it, but uh, we're just learning this thing on the fly, man. You can't wait until an idea is perfect to start doing it. I don't really believe in that. Kind of just got to go for it if you feel like something's right. So anyways, here it goes. Hope you enjoy it. What's really good, y'all? Y'all posted at the Shag with Diggs Tape, my man Rudy, aka Red Nose Designs. Stoked to do this pie with you, bro. Um, just been homies since since day one back at St. Vincent. Uh, happy to do this with you, man. What do you think? Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, glad to be again, like you said, doing this with you. We've always uh, kind of talked about, you know, doing something with just our general and organic conversations, like just at school, you know, sitting on the couch, talking about whatever's going on, um, you know, whether it be lacrosse, sports, just anything. And it just seems like a natural, you know, progression and a natural, you know, uh, next step to go and move forward with, especially after, you know, the success with Dig Tape so far. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, it feels like, kind of feels like we were made for this, yo. Like, ever since, like, the casual athlete days, ever since we were out there slinging t-shirts and doing, doing blogs, and <laughs> remember those vlogs we tried to do? Um, what do we call those? Uh, I forget. Um, the one where we did the cuff flare video? Yeah. We tried to do a series on that? I don't know. I think I like forgot the name because we got roasted so bad on those. We did. <laughs> those comments got were harsh like people i don't understand why people weren't down with the cuff flare i thought i thought that was steez i thought it was cool people just <laughs> people didn't hold back haters they were, they were harsh <laughs> it was bad you know what else was bad when we when uh lax playground reposted our our uniform countdown see when uh when harry like when harry alfred like reached out and started like posting i thought oh this is awesome this will be a good thing and then, you know, we did that uniform one, which I felt pretty good about. Um, again, it was right. obviously, you know, subjective in our own opinion, but man, those comments were brutal. Yeah. They, they played us to the left. The, the lacrosse community definitely played us to the left on those. I don't understand why, but. I thought we were pretty, pretty on point with those, but clearly I was wrong. We're going to have to just update it for the people that are listening. So, so for, for those of y'all that, that are, are listening to this first ever episode of The Shack, um we rudy and i had a, a blog called casualathletes.com back in college and we we tried to just 
you know, do a whole bunch of stuff. Like, think about like what Lax All Stars does, like how they kind of just post like articles or like different random stuff about the game. We were just two dudes in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, doing that. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, we uh, got an article picked up. We did a top ten uniform countdown again, mind you. This is year what Rudy was it like two thousand eleven junior year? Yeah, two thousand eleven. Um, you know, Harry Alfred reached out to us who was running it um, at the time. Is he still if he's still running it? Um, and just started, you know, hooking us up and, you know, putting some of our articles on his to get us some traction, which was great. Um, and, yeah, it was kind of just, you know, messing around, sharing some of the things that we liked and talked about. Um, and then also on the side, trying to just, you know, make and sell T-shirts to, to get some money for the weekend. So that's kind of how it initiated, just similar to, you know, this. It was just us, you know, putting our conversations and what we talked about in general on a daily basis, you know, out there on the blog. Yeah, man. I think, I think this podcast is going to be a fun way to, to rope people into that because I still think that you and I have a grip on what the Steez uniforms are. We just need to do a 2019 version and spoiler alert, the 2004 Navy gold on blues are going to be in that top 10 that we do. Yeah. I don't think we did a good job, you know, looking back on it, explaining why they were on there. And it just hit me like, you know, a couple months ago that the reason that I liked them so much that they were, they were like, they were hideous. They had the strike helmets and the STX uniforms, <laughs> but they were so just like government issue looking that it was <laughs> awesome and it looked sweet. And government I think everyone just missed that. Yo, this, I will never forget like the, the strength of them coming out with like the SCX uniform. I mean, like Hop had SCX uniforms back then too, but they had like the old school. Remember, like the S that looked like like a like a flame almost yeah. on the collar. They had that joint, and I was like, "Oh, that's official, bro. <laughs> that's so official." Just the all navy, like they basically looked like generic gloves. They were the SCX gladiators, just all blue, no type of accent colors whatsoever. Right. Just, Strictly government issue looking uniforms, and they're awesome <laughs> because of that. Exactly, That's what made them so awesome. They're fire, bro. It's just pure flames. Uh, all right, so I guess, <clears throat> I guess what we got to do is we got to like kind of like talk about who we are real quick. Um, I know people are, you know, obviously the first listeners for this are going to come through through Dixip or whatever. So some of y'all might know about that, but just in the context of. Uh, you know, what Rudy and I are trying to do. I guess to introduce myself real quick, I'll let Rudy follow up. Um, I was, I'm from Maryland. I'm from Montgomery County, Maryland. I, I grew up in Damascus. Started playing lacrosse there when I was 11, something like that. Uh, so I was a late bloomer. And then I ended up moving to San Diego when I was 16. Uh, just, just randomly, you know, family move. Uh, ended up here. Didn't play my junior year of lacrosse. Uh, got landed at a private school that didn't have a sport. So, Played at Ranch Bernardo. Shout out Will Yateman. Shout out the Yateman family for my senior year. Uh, ended up getting uh, recruited to St. Vincent along with a bunch of other schools. I don't know about you, Rudy, but I got I got mail from – I actually just found a lot of my, like, recruiting letters. So I got mail from, like, Swarthmore, Dominican, uh, Dickinson, Queens, uh, Washington Jefferson. So, like, back then, like, a bunch of the D2 and D3 schools in the Eastern Seaboard – same as it gave me the most money and I didn't know anybody. So I pulled up um, and yeah, I mean, the rest is history. We all met freshman year and just kind of hit it off, man. It was, uh, it was a wild road getting, getting to St. Vincent, but 
man, it was it was all it was all good from there. So, what about you? Sh- share a little bit about your background. Yeah, so kind of um, you know I had some of the same recruiting. So I I'm from Horsham, PA, uh, right outside of Philly. Um, and funny enough, you know, you mentioned Will Yateman. Um, my freshman year was Duncan Swayze's senior year, and they both went and played at Notre Dame together. Which so a little little connection there. Um, That's wild. But yeah, kind of. I found lacrosse my what was it eighth grade. Um, kind of growing up playing every sport. You know, just basically following my older brother, whatever he played. Um, but with lacrosse, it was kind of like the first time I felt like I found a sport that was a mine. Like everything clicked, everything made sense. It, you know, I was, you know, picked it up pretty quickly and just everything felt comfortable. So obviously stuck with that. Uh, and then, yeah, got recruited to a lot of the same schools you mentioned WJ, Swarthmore, uh, Dickinson. Um, Widener, which is right outside of Pennsylvania, or right outside of Philly, um, and a f- few others um, that I honestly forget. Uh, I think Denison might have been one of them too. I don't know if that was a high recruit on there or not, but they, I got I got a few letters from them. For sure. Hey, they were uh, ranked ninth. Yeah, they were good. <laughs> I'm glad we got to play against them too. Um, but yeah, found St. Vincent um, kind of just by chance. Uh, they were. They sent me a few letters, and I have family out in Pittsburgh, so we were driving back from Pittsburgh, just figured we'd stop by, and then one of the coaches was outside as we were pulling up just to, like, walk around campus, and then came on a recruiting trip here, um, and just the big thing was, like, the team atmosphere, and on my recruiting trip, it just seemed like everyone, you know, was from so many different places, so many different backgrounds, you know, a lot of people that, you know, were on our team in high school, if I, we were all in high school, I maybe may or may not have, you know, hung out with them. But, you know, being at school, everyone just kind of clicked. It didn't matter, you know, who you were, where you're from. Everyone just fit in. And it was kind of cool to see that and definitely something I wanted to be a part of and kind of what drew me in. Very, very glad that it did. And then, yeah, now we're here. Dude, that's dope. I'm, I actually – you knew that I didn't have a real recruiting trip, right? Like I didn't, I didn't like have an overnight. Mm -hmm. It's weird. I mean, like being out in California, I literally didn't get a chance to visit any of the schools just because I was so late in the recruiting game because I didn't play junior year. So everything had to happen my senior year. I just happened to be back East on a snowboarding trip with Ethan, uh, my best friend from growing up. Um, I just flew back East to go snowboarding with him like old times. And uh, we actually went to seven Springs uh, which is right up the street from St. Vincent. And Ethan was considering St. Vincent at the time. And Ethan's mom was like, yo, um, you should visit St. Vincent since you haven't done any recruiting visits yet. Um, we should schedule that in while you're here because Ethan hasn't seen the campus yet either. I was like, that'd be cool. Yeah, let me, let's talk to the coach and tell him we're both coming. So I pulled up to Latrobe during winter break. Nobody was at the school. There was ice on the ground. Like I got out of the car and literally almost slipped, like right in front of... <laughs> right in front of uh, Alfred. Like I got out and almost slipped. And I was like, and like, you know, I'm people are like, you came from California. Like bro, I'm from Maryland. Like that doesn't bother me. Like, you know, the, the stepping on ice and it being cold, that don't bother me. So, and it was like dark, it was daylight savings. And it just something weird about that campus with nobody on it. Ice cold. It already, it felt like home immediately. Like I hadn't met anybody. 
And I didn't know if Ethan was going to go there, but just something inside told me like, yo, this is, this is where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. And I just clung to it. And once they gave me a good scholarship package, I showed up. But I'm jealous that you got a recruiting visit. Didn't you stay with Smooks? No, I stayed with Murray and Egan. And oh. I actually, so I was with Murray and um, Ethan was actually on the same recruiting trip as me. That's right. So he That's stayed, so he wild. stayed with, I think, Egan or the other way. But yeah, we were both there at the same time. So again, another connection that was pretty funny. But yeah, it was uh, for the green and white game when they still did that. So it's basically for our fall ball, we did like an inner squad scrimmage at the, like to cap off um, our fall ball. So I went for that, for that weekend. Um, and it was just a blast. Like everyone, like I said, was, you know, from all over the place and just meshed, you know, everyone got along. Um, it was a pretty inviting atmosphere. It was a lot different from the other recruiting trips I had. Um, some of the teams, at least for me, you know, it, it, I didn't feel like I would have fit right in right away. So that's the thing that definitely, you know, drew me in. So you felt like you'd fit in right away at St. Vincent as opposed to other schools? Definitely. That's crazy that that culture has remained. Like, don't you think that culture in Cat Slacks has really, like, stuck through the years? Yeah. That's, if there's one thing that I'm glad that still is that, that atmosphere and that kind of uh, family mentality that we've always had may not be, you know, winning all the time, but it's reassuring that, you know, that at least that is still there and still, you know, a staple of the program. Right. Yeah, man. I, I went into it blind. So I'm like, I'm super grateful for everything Cats Lags did, which is why like I wanted to do this podcast with you, you know, and like no offense to everybody else, but I've gotten like people have wanted to do podcasts with me. I'm sure I'll have guests on. I'll do, we'll do guest speakers and all that. But like mm-hmm. to me, it's like if I – I didn't just point blank. I didn't want to do it with somebody that wasn't cast likes. And like you, you and I have, have had that rapport forever. So like it had to happen with my man, right? designs right here. Um, so let's, let's roll into what we want this podcast to be. Um, I think it's, it, it's, it's easy for people to, to want this to be a lacrosse podcast since I kind of have grown into this lacrosse personality, but I just want to tell y'all off break uh this is a podcast by lacrosse players this is not a lacrosse podcast and some of you are probably raising your eyebrows like well what's the difference well here's the difference we want to be clear that we're not going to be the podcast that just like covers lacrosse quote unquote covers lacrosse like we're not a news outlet like there's a bunch of really good podcasts out there for those of y'all that want to hear like nll week seven updates or like you know college lacrosse you know Martin weekend of March 27th scores and like storylines. Like if you want to hear all that, there's a lot of good podcasts for that. Like Crease Die talks about that kind of stuff. Uh, Outside the box, pro lacrosse talk, lax factor. I-, I listen to all four of those podcasts and they're all legit. So like, if that's what you want, there's stuff, there's places for you to go for that. Um, and I'm not saying that we're not going to talk about lacrosse because obviously we will. We're lacrosse players. Uh, we'll talk about storylines. We'll talk about highlights, but like, we're going to talk, we're going to go in depth about like the, what would you call it, Rudy? Would you call it like the, not quite the culture of the game, but like, well, maybe that is the best, maybe that is the best way to go about it. Yeah. I think, I guess culture. Yeah. It's more so just, you know, what's going on, you know, it's not exactly specific things within the sport. Um, kind of just, I guess, uh, 
pop culture and you know current events that kind of tie into it a little bit and just you know what's going on and what has an impact or an effect on it I guess um, more so just I don't want to say randomness but um, kind of just what's going on around us yeah I mean at sense. oh yeah it does I, at times it will be totally random like the fact that we spent the first two minutes of the pod, our first episode talking about Navy's 2004 uniforms. I think that's a good barometer of what people can expect from this podcast. We're just going to talk about like whatever we want to talk about in the sport, whether it's things we talked about junior year of college or if it's Mikey Sowers making somebody baseball turn at X, which he, which he did that boy completely dirty. And now that I'm reliving this, I'm getting all excited. And now I want to go watch it again because, oh, so my that, God. I, I just love like – I'm a big – fan of like subtle subtle details and that's Sully right. had after that just look like just fixing the shoulders of the jacket it's so <laughs> subtle yet so coat. direct like he that says, was awesome that was so that. fire he fixed his sport coat after he did that boy dirty he said it's just business let me fix my sport coat oh my god oh. <laughs> so yeah like, that's, most that's, pe- like most people you do someone dirty like that at x you're gonna be going off which you know, I completely support Rightfully it. so. You deserve to celebrate like that. Exactly. To like just compose yourself and just do something subtle is like another level <laughs> that I can like, I really appreciate like that type of stuff. Yeah. I just like, I wonder, it makes me wonder like, did he plan that? Or if that, what I, what I like is when you can tell like a celebration was really in the moment. Like when, he, when someone does something that subtle and that clever in the moment and it's not planned, that makes it even better. And I think that was in the moment. Like he was walking back towards his bench and he took like a good three or four steps and he saw his bench going psycho. He was like, boy, that's, I'm Mikey Sowers. That's just business. Let me fix my tie, fix my sport coat. Like it's just business boy. I need to ask him that. Cause that's been like racking like, if he did it on purpose or not. Cause I did see him like, it almost seemed like he saw everyone on the, cause he looked right at the bench. Oh yeah. I'm sure. Everyone's going, you know, crazy. So the fact that it was like that subtle, I want to think like, I don't know if it was planned or not. I got to ask him now. Cause I can see him, huh? if it was planned or if it wasn't. And just like the shit, like slight, you know, shoulder shrug and just, all right, we're going back to business. Wait, don't you know him? Yeah. So, dad was my coach all throughout high school um working at the camps and everything um so i that's right he's telling me that he's always been at was at the practices and everything and you know nicest kid you ever met and he's just from from when i was in high school everyone just knew like this kid's gonna be good he was like doing stuff better than we were in high school and he was in still in elementary school and just picking corners yeah so at the camps his dad always made him play left-handed uses right throughout the whole camp wait he's right-handed though yeah as that was like you're playing left-handed and if he scored right-handed or made an assist right-handed the golden count oh my god yeah he wouldn't his dad wouldn't allow it <laughs> this is this is golden information this, this is the type of behind the scenes information that most pods wouldn't have, especially on someone like him, who is a, Heis- a Heisman, a Tawar Tom front runner for this season. Sorry, it's football season. Y'all got to forgive me. No, I hate no but yeah, um, nicest family I've ever met. You know, they're awesome people. And uh, a couple years after I graduated, I came back home to play in like a summer league and saw him there. And, you know, immediately he's like, oh, what's up, Rudy? What's going on? Like, you know, came up, gave me a hug. What's up? So it's cool to see, you know, how far he's come. 
didn't you drive up to Princeton to watch him play recently this past season? Yeah, so I went two years ago, and then this past year I went to the Yale Princeton game. Okay. To play. Um, two years ago, he's a sophomore. They're playing Penn, and Penn just locked him off. And he's a sophomore. I was like, <laughs> a "Come on, really?" He get the Jeff Teat treatment as a sophomore. Yeah, that was crazy. Oh my god. And he he did work against Yale. I mean, Yale ended up winning. They had. I didn't see honestly. I think. TD Erlen maybe lost one face off that whole game. He Ew. was literally on fire. And so was he still, was, and it was still a close game. He was probably like ninety five percent then. Easily, I, I was definitely God. over ninety. <laughs> Dog, if you can have any individual statistic over ninety percent, you're the best at your craft. It doesn't matter what sport you play. You do your, you do whatever you do at ninety percent or above. That's absurd. My Especially God. face-offs. Like, that's, like, I love how it's such, like, so we were coming up in high school when it started to become a specialty. So it's cool to see how right. it's progressed, and it's legitimately a specialty now. And seeing how much time and work people put into it, and clearly it's, you know, uh, such a necessity nowadays. In like today's game, and you see some right. people like TD Erlen and just go ninety percent from the edge. It's unheard of. So, in in our podcast history, is this the first hill we're going to die on that faceoffs need to stay in the game? Absolutely. I, I I don't see look like how do you not have a faceoff on the cross? I don't understand. I just genuinely don't understand. Because that's what I love about that's what I like love about lacrosse is you can be down three goals with three seconds left and you still have a shot. It takes what, maybe, if you can guarantee you're going to get, if you can win the faceoff, you can score within five, ten seconds easily. Mm-hmm. Go back, do it again two more times. Like, that's not, it's not like a, like a, a ridiculous thought, like, to think. It's not completely unheard of. Point. Right. And just as much as you're trying to win the faceoff and score, like, the other team's on the same, like, mentality, or like, height of awareness, like, we have to make sure that they don't get that face off, get that fast break as well. So it's, I love how it's always, you're still always in it. And the face off is such a crucial part of that. Totally. I, when I was at the PL all-star game, they were experimenting with some different face off rules. I don't know if you saw that, but they were doing like ball drops um, at the X. And when I went to the practice and it was hilarious, like guys like Jared Newman and Marcus Holman, where, like, Marcus Holman was dirty, by the way. Marcus, if you're listening to this podcast, bro, yes, Marcus Holman is nasty at the fuck drop for no reason. Like, why? Why is he nasty in the fuck drop? I did kind of like the puck drop. Like, that was different and kind of cool. It was um, cool I to like, see. I like, I like that they experimented with that stuff in the All-Star right. game. Just like right. All-Star game, like, why not at least try these out? The, uh, you know, just clearing it after a goal, it seemed like, even like the goalies like weren't like they knew it was supposed to do it, but like they just kept going. Like they weren't ready to like do a quick gun, like picking it up out of the goal and then just firing it downfield or, you know, looking real quick for the clear pass. Like everyone was right. still so used to like going to a face off. Right. It was so like, you know, habitual goal to go to the face off that they weren't ready for that. Yeah. It was just, it was also strange watching the goalies clear out of the goal just after a goal because I don't know. It was just something about like it doesn't make it any easier on the team that just got scored on. Like they still have to clear. 
So like, yeah. yes, I understand that if you clear above 90%, you're a great team. And a lot of the m- most winning teams in college across are going to clear at 90%. So if you play the numbers, sure, it's more likely that they'll clear that they'll win a faceoff where the average win percentage is 50. But that's not the point. The point is like, you still have to get past a ride. So now the other team can plan a ride, plan a post-goal ride, and even potentially like play the substitution game a different way. I don't know. I just, I just don't think that it's necessarily – I don't think it's a valid way to skin the cat. I, I just really don't. I think the face-off is still the best way to skin the cat. Yeah, I agree. And it's – the one thing I like about the face-off is it's – we're at the point now where there's like strategy on how you – set up for the face-off and I love who it. you're putting on the wing it's it adds a whole new dimension like um when I lived up in New Hampshire we played with uh the guy uh, he coached at Bryant uh with Pressler and ran the box and he was like on the forefront of oh, the strategy of substitution box face-offs you know having set plays for face-offs and how they ran it and just hearing him talk I was like whoa that is awesome that they have that much detail and practice and, you know, so much strategy put into just the face-offs and how they ran the box. Like, right. added another dimension to it. And I, I hate to see that, you know, go away. Yeah. And it's the game within the game. And I think a lot of the people that want to get rid of face-offs are the older generations of lacrosse players that didn't have fogos like you kind of just set your guy out there that maybe had a strong clamp or maybe he had one or two moves or could if another guy was winning at say a 60 percent clip the guy at 40 percent had a better chance of tying up because neither one of them were really specialists and you could always just play a three-on-three ground ball and that's just the era of lacrosse that they played in and that's fine but the game evolves and it's going to evolve without us too. I mean, eventually we're going to get older. We're going to be like, I miss this about the game, but dude, the game evolves. And I don't, the, the ways base off is specializing has been so cool to watch, like watching kids just kind of come up with their own signature moves and like kids that are better at one thing than another and all the nuances and all the training that goes into it. I just like, why take that out of the sport? Because you don't think it's moving fast enough, but we just put a shot clock in. Like <laughs> we're doing other stuff. Yeah, it's. I mean, even in high school, we used to put like we'd always have a wrestler as a faceoff guy, just because they could. They were strong enough, and they could. If they didn't win it, they could somehow body their way into it, or just plow the guy ahead. And it's you know, like you said, it's it changed from that to now being more of a finesse and quickness position, which is pretty cool to see. Right. It just, I mean, that's, that's a great signifier for something else I wanted to talk about in this episode was how the, how the game is changing since, since we've been in college or in high school. I mean, like I remember the first real, like I had guys on my high school team in Maryland that were now for those of y'all that don't know, I went to a public school. I didn't go to like, you know, St. Paul's or Loyola or anything. I went to Damascus high school, just like a public school in Montgomery County, just north of DC. And like lacrosse wasn't huge in our town. We didn't even have a JV team. If you didn't make varsity, you were playing club. So I was fortunate enough to be one of the three freshmen to make varsity my my freshman year. And uh, we didn't have a face-off specialist. This is 2005, 2006. We had guys that were better than other guys. I took face-offs. Like I took face-offs all through high school. And even when I went to Ranch Bernardo, that was my first time seeing a space, face-off specialist like we had one guy guy named Matt Birch and he was really good at winning face-offs like 
And I had never really like, I had seen it at the college level. Like the first thing that comes to mind is that 04 Navy team, Chris Bazanka, he was the first real Fogo I ever saw. And he was disgusting. He was like, he was like TD Ireland before TD Ireland. Like that boy, Chris Bazanka was nasty. He had a nitrous with the neon yellow mesh. Uh, he was cooking everybody with that combo. It was fire. Um, but anyway, I had never really seen a, a face-off special before. And this is 2008. Like the game has evolved so much in the last 10 years to where it's now, it's not even something a seasonal lacrosse player knows about. And now there's like camps and clinics for the position. And that happened in less than 10 years. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome to see. And, you know, you go back and talk, uh, you know, 2005, there was basically two moves, a pinch and I don't even think the pinch and pop was a thing. It was either, it was clamp and rake. And then if you couldn't get the clamp, you would jam by just taking your shaft and pushing the head so they couldn't clamp it. Mm -hmm. There was basically two moves for the most part. And then Alex Smith came on from Delaware. True. And really started pushing. He was like the original, because he literally would face off and come off no matter if they won the face off or if they were going on defense, he was coming off. Right. That's when it started progressing, at least from my memory, um, the way I remember it is that was the first one. And then who was it? Was it uh, when they played Hopkins in the final four? Mm-hmm. It was. Talk about the Hopkins face-off guy? Yeah, who was it? Pizer. Guys were, yeah, Pizer was the main guy. And he wasn't even really a Fogo. Because remember, they started, that's when they started, they were timing the whistle. Pizer was timing the whistle and just dominating Alex Smith. And then it started progressing from there where people started doing, focusing just on facing off. Right. That's actually, that's, that's a good cherry pick, Rudy. I totally forgot that was happening in that. Cause I was at that game. I was at that Delaware hop game. I actually skip. I think I might've told you this story in high school. Um, my junior year, because Hopkins was in that final four when I was a junior in high school, that was the year I moved to San Diego. And it was the year I didn't play high school lacrosse because I had to run track. Um, mm-hmm. My four by one team made the CIF championship, which if you're not from California, basically I mean like San Diego has like 200 and some high schools. And we were the third fastest high school in the whole County for four by one. So like I ran third leg in the four by 100 and we were in the city championships. And a year before to the day, I hadn't known that I was moving to San Diego. So me and my dad bought final four tickets because we knew it was going to be in Baltimore. So it was just a quick drive up the road. But fast forward a year later, I'm stuck in San Diego and I kind of can't go. But my dad's flying home that weekend to do something else. So he goes, hey, if you want to come with me, we can go to the final four or you can go to the final four. And Hopkins was in it. And when they won that quarterfinal game, I literally told my track team I was not going to run. I took. I looked them right in the eye, and I said, "I'm going back to watch Hopkins win the win the national championship." And they got so mad at me. They were like, "Dude, we're in the city finals. We're the third fastest team in the whole county, regardless of division. There's only two schools faster than us, and you're going to leave in this city championship." I said, yep. "Yes, <laughs> yes, I am." One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We want more, boy. Go Jays! I flew right back to Baltimore, and I watched them. I watched Steven Pizer beat Alex Smith up on the faceoff, like you just said. I watched Paul Rabel go one and five in the national championship and lift. I was in the stadium both times my Jays won trophies in the last since 1987. Holla at your boy. 
So they won. What was it? Freshman <laughs> year, they won. That was the second one they won. They won the first one in Philly, right? Yeah, in 2005. Okay. Yeah, that was that was crazy. Like, because I remember like the big like news was all about Alex Smith and him dominating faceoff, and then right. Pizer just came in and was like, "Eh, that's okay." I, I totally this. forgot about that. Like, I I was I came into that game worried as a Hawkins fan. I was like, "Yo, that man, Alex Smith." Like he was at he was at something crazy like seventy seven percent on the season or something. He was he like he's too dumb. He had like the ground ball record that season. Oh, he shattered every record. Face off percentage, everything. So I actually take it back. I, earlier I said Chris Pizanko was TD earlier before TD earlier, and I take it back. Alex Smith was TD earlier before TD earlier. Chris Pizanko was his own beast. He was winning high sixties. He was balling. That's a big reason why Navy was where they were. He gets mm-hmm. forgotten about, which is why I said that. But you're right. It's Alex Smith. Right. <laughs> Yo, um, so a couple other things. The, the crease dive. Let's talk about the crease dive real quick. Um, what are your initial thoughts on this crease inception, the crease within the crease? To me, I think it's just – it's almost like you're making, more, you're making more rules to make it more difficult. Like <laughs> – I just kind of like relate it to, you know, nowadays, like kids are soft, you know, always have to like be protective of everyone. Everyone gets a trophy. Like, listen, if you're playing goalie, someone's going to dive. Like, Hey, it's your job to stop the goal. Like, I don't care. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for like player safety and everything. Don't get me wrong, but dude, it's part of the game. Like let them dive. Like it's your job as a defenseman to keep them from being able to dive. And then once that's in motion, it's the goalie's job to stop the goal at any cost. Like, right. I'm sorry. Like, if you can't dive, I get not diving like a torpedo right at the goalie. That's of course one thing. But sometimes, like, what was it last year? The first year they brought the dive back, or two years ago? Last year. So I'm mean, first game. It was like Furman that dove in the crease and they called it off. And if you dive like into the goalie, like that's a penalty. Like that's you're just making too many rules now. And then with this new crease inside the crease, I feel like it's only going to make calls more subjective. You know, okay, he landed in the crease, so, you know, no goal and a penalty. Or I, I don't know if that's exactly the rule, but I know it's no goal. So it's, I don't know, it's limiting, it seems, and making it more difficult to, you know, understand the rules. Exactly. So they've, let me they've... Dive or either don't or let me. Right. One or the other at this point. I would rather you just not let me dive. Like, what's the point of adding an extra le- a bubble of security in front of the goalie? Look, goalies, I don't want you to get your knees taken out either. I understand that there's a rule in place to where if if the guy dives towards the goal mouth, I don't I don't understand why that all of a sudden became subjective. Like there were a lot of calls where it's like, oh, I don't know about this one. How do you call this? Like, I'm a fan that doesn't have a ref, sir, and I can tell you, hey, look he got pushed in that direction. That's on the defender. Like, yeah. it should be that simple. I don't understand why it's getting overcomplicated. The only rule that it should have is, all right, did he release the ball before he landed? And if he landed in the crease, that should be the only thing. I, I don't get – I was mad, like, when they, you know, did away with the dive because I thought it was, it was a cool, like, you know, it's almost like a dunk in basketball. Right, you know, it's fire. Like, them look cool and you know sell out um in the attempt to get a goal and then they took it away all right 
did without it, whatever. But then you bring it back with, you know, a bunch of, you know, asterisks with it. Like, oh, but if you're going to dive, you can't do this, that, or the other thing. It just makes it way too more complicated. It'd be easier to have, you know, do without it um, rather than have it with all these set parameters on how you can do it. Right. Like, I, I don't know, man. I just, I think the crease dive is so lit. Like the, the one, I think the main argument for why the crease dive had to come back and really what got the conversation going was if you remember when Maryland won, was that Brown? Who they beat Ohio State? Yeah. So when Maryland won the national championship in 2017 and Colin Haycock uh, caught that dish from Rambo and he like jumped and scored and like he was clearly diving away from the goal and his foot landed on the crease line like he jumped so high and so far that it was like a full Mississippi after the ball went in the goal and his foot hit the crease line and they said it was a no goal and that's when everyone was like yo come on dog like we got to do something about this and put the die back in the game so like I I'm all for keeping it but like this this pimp my ride version of you know, I put a crease inside your crease, dog. Remember when the memes came out? That's so facts. Like, that's it's so trash. Like, it just makes everything even more subjective. Like, it doesn't clear anything up. It just presents a new set of problems. Like, they're going to end up just taking it away. I, I get – so when you, they were making the rule, I get what you're trying to do. I get the concept right. of it. Right. But when you really put it into play, there's, there's going to be too many more arguments. It's, it's causing more harm than good. Exactly. I think it was fine before and the refs just need better schooling on how to call it. Like there was nothing wrong with the rule set when they brought it back. I understand that like, you're saying there's a lot of asterisks. Those asterisks were for player safety. I understand Which where you're coming from. I get, yeah. I understand where you're coming from. I, I just think the refs need to get schooled better on how to call it because there was a lot of things where the refs were like, well, well, what about this? Like, well, what about what? Like, did you watch the play? Like I saw it in real time, just like you did. That shouldn't be a goal, or that should be a goal. Like it's, it's. There were only so many calls that were like kind of subjective about it, and it's like, I don't know. Like the one of Pat Spencer's best goals of last year was that goal against Rutgers, where he jumped across the crease and he was going like parallel to goal line, and the defender literally shoved him into the goalie. That goal stood. Like yeah. under the new rules, that goal should not stand because he got pushed into the goalie. It should be no goal and a foul. Like, what is so hard about that? I just – It was one of the early games, too, last year where I think the goalie stepped out to, like, you know, make a body play on the guy. That and draw a foul. And he drew the foul. You're telling me I'm – like, so if I'm the guy diving, I'm discredited because the goalie wanted to play body on me? Like, that makes no sense. Right. I just I, that was my main criticism of the rule, like any contact with the goalie, like that wasn't specific enough. So I said the same thing you said last offseason. I was like, wait a minute, so a goalie can go draw a foul and put his body in the way? I thought that rule was to protect the goalie, and now the goalie's going to put himself on the line and get a call. Yeah. That's like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you call any loopholes with that type of stuff. Case in point. Okay, well, I can only if I'm goalie and contact whatsoever, you know causes either the penalty or no goal then okay then let me go at him and draw the penalty easy as that and with the player diving he's already in motion he can't stop his momentum or anything like that or do anything mid-air so you know he's at the mercy of how I guess ballsy the goalie's gonna be there yeah yeah 
I don't know, man. I was, I was all about the dive growing up. I always wanted to do it because I saw guys like Mike Watson doing in the MLL, and I was like, yo, that's fire. I'm going to do that. And I'm still pissed that, that my goal against Worcester junior year got waved off because – I was so mad because that was a perfect one. Dude, that was – like in today's game, like that that joint would have been on the internet. Like that's my one goal of my college career that would have been on the internet in today's game. Like <laughs> I – Just a couple years too. I know I was too early, man. I remember because I dove, I dove on a left-handed goalie from his left side, and I kept the kept my stick in my inside right hand, and I dove like parallel to the goal line, and with my inside hand, I threw a fake to his stick side, and then wrapped it around his body and tucked it in the corner, and then landed like way after the ball went in. Like it would have been a goal, no questions asked, no concern with the goalie, and like there's one picture of me, and it looks like there's two players pushing me. I totally dove. I was trying to make it look like I got pushed with the current rules. I was like, I think they're going to push me. So I'm going to jump along with their push. And they just didn't, they pushed me after I jumped. So it was just within the, within the rules at that time, that was a no goal. I understand, but I'm dog. If that was just like a two in 2018, that would have been on Instagram. bro. Yeah, that pic- the picture that that was incredible. Uh, we'll have to put that up somewhere. I know and if that was like in a courtroom, I would wholeheartedly believe those two guys pushed you because it was just the perfect <laughs> angle, picture taken at the perfect time. I'm sorry, sir, they're guilty. The evidence was on my side, Booty. Like, yeah. after the fact, the evidence was on my side. Oh, my God. oh man, that was so bad. But anyway, I, I don't want to talk about that the whole time. But okay. So, um, yo, do you still use use in your stick? Absolutely. Still do. That's another thing that I was so mad about when they changed the like stringing rules in college. I'm like, it's like one of the, the one thing I liked about lacrosse, it was as much of a team sport, like there were still certain aspects that were so like personal. Like, i.e., you know, your stick, like that's such a personal thing to each player. Everyone, thing, everyone does something different, you know, strings it how they want it, how it throws best for them. And taking that away, it just – I was so mad. I'm still, like, a little upset about that because I always use the U. I use one U mm-hmm. and three strings. Mm-hmm. Um, it just – it worked for me. It had the perfect amount of hold, wasn't illegal, threw with the right amount of whip. It just – everything about it was perfect. And thinking about having to change that and use two shooters only, only, like, a certain, mis- uh, certain distance down, that just – like, my – I like – my skin crawls because of that. It like <laughs> irritates me to no extent or to no end. And that's the, uh, but yeah, I still use you. I use. I, I, I agree. Okay. The reason I kind of agree is because I just, the, the reason they like took all that stuff out was kind of a non-factor. Like it was, I think it was just another one of those examples of like people that are a little too old to understand like the nuances of the game as it's happening right now are making the rules for the younger players. So they're like, those views are making it so the ball doesn't come out. And it's like, dude, you don't understand how sticks are strong. Like the U's are not what make the ball not come out. It's the way the stick is strung. You don't, you didn't change anything. So now all stringers did was find different ways to get the same type of hold. All you do yeah. is pull the mesh tighter and it's not illegal. Like you didn't solve anything. All you did was take out a, a certain shooting string pattern. Like it, it doesn't do anything. Yeah. That's, I never understood it. And then they just made the sticks throats wider. So you're already eliminating 
you know, illegal sticks to an extent with that making the throats wider. So why do you need alter how you can, why do you have to dictate how somebody can string it? That bothers me. Right. And case in point, have you noticed any, have you noticed more turnovers? Like people de-sticking people that, you know, the same thing happens. Like something, someone throws a stick check and that ball should be out, but that player just knows how to handle a stick check and he cradles through it and he scores. Like, is that because he didn't have use in his stick? He just, he just knows how to cradle through a check. Like that doesn't, that doesn't increase turnovers. I just, I just don't understand. Yeah. That always bothered me. And back to that, I always remember, so kind of off topic, but I just going back to the use, I remember seeing, I feel like Virginia made it real popular to do the W with Mm -hmm. the two nylons. I think you're right. I think it was like Danny Gladding. um, I don't know if Rubier did it. No, it was Matt Ward did it. Rubier did it. Uh, Danny Gladding, they all had it. And then I noticed that Shamel and Ramel Bratton. Yes, I was just about to say Bratton did it. Once they got to Virginia, I looked at their sticks and they automatically had it. Like, I feel like that was a very Virginia type string. They automatically had it. (laughs) Like, there was no like transition to change. It was just like, oh, look, they're on Virginia's campus at practice. Oh, look, they have the two shooters with the nylons. Okay, that makes sense. Yes. Yes. Now, even though I'm talking all this big, big trash about the, the way the streaming rules changed, I want to just go back and clarify one thing. One, I'm kind of glad they went to the U spec heads, the, how, they're, how they're wider on the bottom, because with the high school spec heads in college, that helps you keep the ball in your stick. If you string a really low pocket, you have a narrow thing at the bottom, that ball's less likely to come out. That's just physics. I wasn't trying to like say that the, the U spec thing was a bad thing. That's a oh, good no, thing. No, I'm no. just talking about like the, the stringing part. Is, yeah. what's, is, is what is what that doesn't control turnovers at all um and and secondly um crap what were you saying you were saying that the, the with the uses oh yeah i was gonna say even with even with that even though i'm upset that they took use out and that you can't use them anymore i actually like my sticks better without them really yeah i i'm not Did going you back use them in college yes I used a U. I, I remember my string pattern for every year. So freshman year, I had two straight and a, and a V. Sophomore year, I had, uh, I think, one shooter and a nylon. I was just trying something different. Um, junior year, I had three straight across. And then senior year, I went back to two straight and a V. And then for my last couple of games, I had a W. Um, and so, like, I had – I played with U's a lot, but I just – for some reason – with the way stringers evolved and how different stringing techniques got adopted and I started trying new things, I started realizing that I like it better when the mesh is the thing doing the dragging and not the shooting strings. I just personally, I like it better. I don't think it makes me harder or easier to take the ball from. I don't think it affects the the way I throw or my ball control. It just feels nicer to me personally. Yeah. I So I use the U because as a pole, I have a very high pocket and that's because I cradle low, like close, pretty close to the ground. So when I scoop up a ground ball, it's already in my pocket right away. And then the U keeps it in that little sweet so I can throw it and release it from any angle. So that was always like my feeling and what, why I felt so comfortable with it. Right. It was always in the sweet spot. I could throw it from any angle I needed to and just get rid of it. And, and it was immediately right in the sweet spot off the GB. So just quick 
right in there and always held in there. So that's why I always like that. Yeah, it, it does feel different. Like it like cups the ball differently, yeah. especially for like handling the ball with a pocket where the sweet spot is right under that you. It does cup the ball differently than Mesh ever could. So I, I get you on that. Yeah, but like offensively, I get what you're saying. Like it's the U isn't, you know, when you're creating as a midfielder and attack, then the U isn't going to do, you know, much holding because you're going to be cradling with it either in the middle of the stick or bottom of the stick as you're running. So right. it doesn't really make that big of a difference in that aspect. Right. Yeah. I never really understood that either. Um, all right. So, so the, the title of this episode is rules of engagement. So I think we should cap the episode um, by explaining what the, the inspiration behind rules of engagement is. Um, so you want to explain this one? Yeah, so when, you know, circling back to the beginning when we were talking about uh, the casual athletes blog and everything, one of the first things we did was um, the rules for Chipotle and, you know, how, it go about, how to go about eating a burrito there. Um, so we had a whole list of rules of, you know, what you should do and how it was basically etiquette for eating a Chipotle burrito. Right. And we were very, very thorough with them and very deliberate with what we had. And I'm, I'm, I haven't had a burrito in so long. I usually just get the bowls now, but the one, the one rule I remember distinctly is you always work with the foil, not against it. <laughs> you can't just peel the foil off like a rookie. You know, you got to peel away at it and work, you know, work it down as you progress and, you know, work away at the burrito. It's there to help you. The foil exactly. is there to help you. It, you work with keeps it. Keeps it there in place. It's not work against it. Work with it. I think my favorite parts of the Chipotle rules of engagement were just for a little backstory for people that aren't didn't go to school either at Seton Hill or St. Vincent. St. Vincent is a town called Latrobe, and it's about 20 minutes outside uh, a little bigger town called Greensburg. And the only Chipotle in the area was in Greensburg. So in order for us to get Chipotle or fix our Chipotle cravings, we would have to carpool 20 minutes away to go to a Chipotle. And that was kind of a mission for college kids that might not have cars. So what it became was, you know, after fall ball practice, it was kind of a tradition, like once a week after fall ball practice, we'd all get in cars and drive over to Chipotle. But then it became a mess because people would say like, like be like, yo, like JD, you want to go to Chipotle? Sorry to, to single you out, JD. But like, yo, JD, you want to go to Chipotle? And he's like, no, nah, I don't want to go. It's like, all right, dude, you're lost. And then we go, and then JD's texting Tuan, hey, can you get me a burrito? And we're all like, nah, bro, yeah. no, nah, that's no. No, yeah. you missed out. We offered it to you. You said no because you didn't want to go. You don't get a burrito. You missed out. So we had to create rules based on, like one of the rules, one of my favorite rules was, that's a no-no. If you say no because you don't want to go, you don't get a burrito. You don't get, you don't get to yeah. ask anyone. Like you had a chance to go. If you can't go because of class, if you can't go because of a commitment, you can give us money. We'll get you whatever order, you want. Yeah. Yes, I'll take your order for you. So like it was like a lot of explanations like that. Like that's just the rules of engagement. Like, oh, I had to do this, and they're like, no, you didn't. Yeah, <laughs> no, you <laughs> didn't. You just didn't want to go. You wanted to go home and play video games. That's fine. Yeah. You just don't get a burrito. Yeah. It's you don't get to like, decide later that you want one. Yeah. That's uh if you can't go or you're not willing to make the journey, you can't just like expect someone to get it for you. Right. Like, you gotta you gotta earn it. You gotta work <laughs> for it. Dude, I'm so ah, oh, we should have we should have been more vigilant on keeping that site alive. That was a mistake. But we I'm won't so mad I let that 
laps. I've That's on both of us. That's on both of us. The only thing I could find was the uniforms on like on lacrosse playgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. I still have that tab up. That's a good one to have. Yeah. All right. You got anything else you want to, you want to talk about before we close this first episode? No, man, I'm pretty good. I just excited to be uh, getting this rolling now. Look forward to keeping it going and how it progresses. See how we Yeah, man. I think it's going to be fun. I think another thing I really want to do is I want to have guests on um, throughout the season. Cause I mean, a lot of pods obviously do it, but I want to have guests on to like kind of talk about lacrosse, but like more so talk about like their college experience or like their backgrounds or their likes. Or I don't know. I want to talk to them more as players than, than what I've heard. So yeah. Kind of get a feel for them outside of the realm of lacrosse. Right. Like yeah. That. Should do that. So some of that, some gear reviews, some talk about games, all this kind of, I mean, like sometimes like, don't be surprised if all, the only thing we talk about is Drake drops an album and it's booty. And we want to talk about how booty <laughs> his new album is like, don't be surprised. Like we're not a lacrosse podcast. We're a podcast by lacrosse guys. So anyway, uh, I think that's it, man. I think we can wrap. Um, so thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, you have been posted at the shack with Dave's David Red Nose Designs. Appreciate y'all coming along with us. And stay tuned for more episodes because we're going to be recording more and posting more and uh, might even do submissions every now and then. So just stay tuned. We'll just be interactive. All right. Signing off. Thanks for listening, guys.